So welcome to this week's edition of the Retech Podcast. My guest this week is Philippa de Cesario, Managing Director, Environmental Markets at The Hook Group. Now, a seasoned C-suite professional with a career spanning an incredible 30 years in marketing, operational and sustainability roles. As the MD of THG Eco, Philippa and her team offer end-to-end decarbonisation service for global retailers on the journey to net zero. Now, before you wonder what that is, we will get into that in detail in a moment. With expertise in carbon footprinting, reduction, offsetting trading and climate action reporting. Now, THG Eco work alongside THG Ingenuity, beauty and nutrition e-commerce customers on their roadmaps to setting near and long-term science-based targets. Now, all of that sounds Hugely impressing and a little bit uh, confusing, but we will try and demystify it. So welcome, Philippa. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. No, always a, always a pleasure. Um, now, before we try and unravel that introduction and, uh, and make sense of that, I want to put all of that to one side for the minute and talk a little bit about you and your career. But way back when, young Philippa at school, staring out of the window... What, what was the dream? What did you actually want to do as a, as a career? I think it was a bus conductor um, because back in the day I used to, I'm, I'm one of uh, four siblings and uh, I grew up in a very traditional household where my father, who was a, a, a senior policeman, would go out to work and my mother would bring us up. And she didn't drive, so we went everywhere on London, red London buses. We used to go to swimming lessons, karate lessons, the library, everywhere by bus. And back in the day, um, the bus conductor would give you a ticket with the ticket machine, which fascinated me and I absolutely loved them. And it's wonderful that you can still get on a London bus nowadays, uh, um, but obviously everything now is digital and you pay differently. But I certainly didn't think I would be um, in the environmental markets. I don't think I even knew what the word eco meant back then. And I definitely wouldn't have categorized myself as an eco warrior. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, it, times have changed. Well, so so I assume you didn't pursue an initial career as a bus conductor. So where, where was the first, was there a drawing into the police given the uh, the family connection? Where where did the career start? And then just, just give us an overview, a thread, and then we'll come on to where yeah. you are today. So, um, Family of six, four kids, two parents. Half of us went into the police force and the other half didn't. And I was the half that didn't. Uh, So my brother and my sister went into the police force. So my father, my brother, my sister all in the police. And then my sister and I took completely uh, different paths. I actually ended up living in Italy for uh, quite a few years. Um, And I learned to speak Italian. Uh, It was full immersion. You either learn to speak it or you sunk. Um, So I lived quite a few years in Italy. And when I came back from Italy, the only thing that was really uh, open to me uh, at my age and with my skill set was something in a bilingual industry. So I worked uh, in jobs uh, where I could speak both languages. It, It was fantastic. You know, that was, God, years and years ago. But I still speak Italian every single day. I love it. It was an incredible a way to get into companies and then I went off in different directions after that so so you've got that the bilingual and and then so how do you then navigate what were the steps because I'm not seeing the connection at the minute what, <laughs> what, what, what were the threads what were the jumps that then saw you 
land at THG? So I started off in secretarial positions. Um, I actually worked for Olivetti, which I, I don't even know if they exist anymore. They were embroiled in lots of scandals. Yeah, back in the day. Um, so I started there and we worked with this fantastic marketing agency. And the guy who ran, who I'm still friends with to this day, always said to me, if you ever want to get out of this and come and work for me, do it. And I thought, yes, I definitely don't want to be a secretary for the rest of my life. So I jumped ship, went to work with him and started literally bottom rung of the ladder and learned to be a marketeer, which wasn't a particular passion of mine. But I found I like working with people. I'm definitely a people person, client service, making people happy, doing the right thing. Um, so I worked my way up in marketing agencies. And then as I took different roles on, I realized that my interest was much more operational than marketing focused. So I became very, very operational. I ended up uh, as CEO of a global private jet company, which mm. is the opposite to um, what I should have been doing. And I became particularly concerned about what we were doing to the environment. You know, we'd have footballers and celebrities dropping £100,000 on a flight to Ibiza and the, the emissions from that jet flying one person for two, it, it was crazy. So what I tried to do was look at how we could um, offset the bad that we were doing by doing something good. And I got into looking at carbon trading and understanding how the market was, and I found it absolutely fascinating. And then when I was furloughed um, during COVID, I kind of, I, I launched myself into it, uh, worked for carbon uh, exchange, got to know the, the market, and I've been trading for three, four, five years ever since now. And wow. I absolutely love it. Well, that is incredible to, uh, and again, I mean, talk about being front and centre to understand the impact, particularly with the aviation. I mean, that was you know, meant to be maybe to give you the education. So THG is a business. You know them very well. I know them. But there'll be a lot of people going, THG, what's that? So for those that don't know, explain a little bit about the business and then a bit about where you sit within the business, if you would. What THG have done is really unusual. So THG is better known as the Huck Group. So they run probably two to 300 of the biggest e-commerce websites for the biggest brands in the world. Um, you won't know it's a THG website, but chances are it's a THG website. Um, and what they do differently and how they set themselves apart from, from their competitors is it's a one-stop shop. When they launched many, many years ago, all they would do is the website. And then they quickly realized they could do the marketing. They could do the packaging. They could do the warehousing. They could do the distribution. They could do the data analytics. So what they did is they developed a solution, which meant a big brand could go to the Hut Group and do everything in one place. So all joined up, seamless experience, one invoice, one set of client service, and it, it just made sense. And more and more brands looked at uh, THG and thought, I need one company doing everything for us. And it makes sense to do that. And now a lot of the competition are, are following suite and they're mm. adding services to their um, their portfolio. It, it is. It's one of those, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, go and Google it, look it up. Wikipedia. I mean, it's just an unbelievable business. It is one of those 
huge businesses that you don't know, but you possibly interact with every single day or every week or something. Absolutely. Um, you know, during during COVID, my son's girlfriends were receiving their glossy boxes every single week. People don't realise that, you know, that's all done by the, the, the hut group and, and they have their own brands as well. My Protein, absolutely huge brand. It, it, it's a THG brand. Um, look fantastic. Cult Beauty, My Vitamins. They have a lot of brands or they work with a lot of brands. They're a really ambitious company. Yeah, absolutely. I must admit, the uh, uh, our regular delivery from My Protein arrived yesterday in the best yeah. household as it does every month. So, yeah, I'll have to share just... my friends and family discount code with you. Oh, there you go. I'll be on to that. <laughs> so, look, so THG, huge e-commerce retailer. Why are they so active in climate action and sustainability space? Because it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, make a make a, a an obvious fit. It doesn't. It, it doesn't make sense at all. And it's probably the question I get asked the most. It is because, uh, like so many large organisations, about 2019, um, they decided we need to do something. We need to take some climate action. They didn't know what to do. They didn't really understand what they should be doing, let alone how they should do it. They had one uh, guy within the business with some expertise and he took them on the journey. And what they discovered was exactly what I, all day, every day I will speak to people who were taking climate action and everybody says the same thing. It's really complicated. It's really difficult to understand. I keep speaking to different people telling me different things. And this carbon offsetting thing is just, it's just, I just don't even know where to start. So it's opaque. There's a lack of expertise. It's it's really difficult. And uh, THG's experience was awful. It was really bad. And they went to one of the biggest sustainability um, uh, consultants. So they went they went large. They paid um, top dollar for what they thought was the, the the best advice they they could be given. And I suppose where they really struggled was when it came to the offsetting because they were sold carbon credits for you know uh five six seven eight hundred percent more than than i could have purchased them for uh when i joined thg the first thing they asked me to do was oh have a look at what we've done and tell me what you think i was absolutely horrified absolutely horrified um you know there's a lot of people making lots of money out of the environmental markets and, and do you think thg were was somebody profiteering because of a lack of knowledge within the business? Was it just, yeah? 100%. I always say to people, look very carefully at who you are, who you are paying your money to. You know, uh, there's loads of talk about, you know, bad credits or bad advice and things. The first thing I would say to everyone is make sure you work with someone that you trust and make sure they're doing the right thing. And, and the driver to, to go down this route and look for the offsetting was that, yeah, you know, as well as being the right thing to do, I assume commercially also must make sense. Is it something that people that have got their you know, websites and businesses with the Hook Group are insisting on? I mean, I'm just trying to understand what pushed it so far and, and quite quickly by comparison to others? Well, well, back in the day, it was almost a race to the finish line. Who could be the first? Now is most definitely don't be the last. Mm. OK, 
Now it's expected. Um, you know, we are finding that we can't do RFIs, uh, requests for information or requests for quotation um, as a supplier to um, other organizations without having our climate action credentials up to scratch. So people aren't prepared to work with companies that are not taking climate action. Um, but I think our biggest motivation for, for setting up what is now known as THG Eco is utter frustration at our experience and making sure that didn't happen to our partners, our suppliers and our clients. Because we figured if it happened to us, it will be happening to them. And you know what? My experience, because I speak to them all the time, is exactly that. What happened to us is happening to everybody else. So we, we put together THG Eco for the simple reason we wanted to give really straightforward, cost-effective advice to our network. And ultimately, we're being a bit greedy because it's a win-win. Because -win. if, if I help our supplier reduce their emissions, I then reduce my own emissions. So, you know, it, it, it works both ways, um, but it's been incredibly successful and the message resonates with everyone and anyone that we talk to. And then within the THG group, you head up that division. So do you, you deal internally and externally and it's your job, is it, to define the strategy, make recommendations, buy the credits, and we'll come on to that in a moment. You, you look, everything sits under you. We have two divisions. So we have the internal facing and the external facing. Um, I am in the external facing, but I obviously have to get involved with the internal facing because we offset. Mm. Um, so they set the strategy, they decide uh, what we are and aren't going to do as a company. And then if it includes offsetting as a strategy, which, is which it does, I will then make sure that they are buying the highest quality uh, best credits in the right projects at the right price from the right people. Fascinating. Absolutely love it. Love it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I've been in and around retail a long time and I think there's still a lot of, it's still difficult to get a straight answer on what's going on in the right way. I mean, you must hear this, but what are the most common misconceptions you think people have around climate action? I mean, you must, you must, you must have heard them all. You really must. Oh. So what, <laughs> What, what, are the, what are the main ones? I've heard absolutely everything. So what I try and do is I try and stay very neutral. Um, I am in a privileged position that I'm at the front line. So I know what people are looking for and I know what people are selling. So I know what the buyers want and I know what the sellers want. Um, everyone I speak to is at a different place on their, on their journey. Okay. So you'll speak to some companies who have not measured and you'll speak to some companies who have already submitted science-based targets uh, to the initiative. So everyone's at a different place on their journey. I'm never judgmental. Uh, I always try and encourage climate action. The biggest misconceptions, um, everyone has an opinion. So it's just like COVID vaccinations. We all have an opinion and very little expertise behind it. So in particular for carbon, carbon credits and carbon offsetting, You'll speak to people and sometimes it's black and white. Oh, I don't do it. I don't believe in it. Oh, I do it. These are the best projects. All, all of that sort of thing. So uh, everyone has an opinion. Um, the common misconceptions about uh, emissions are 
oh, I've got no emissions. My team of 10 people work from home. We've all got laptops, so we've got no emissions. So people don't think they have a footprint that needs measuring, okay, which is really worrying because we all have a footprint irrelevant. In fact, fantastic. If you've got 10 people working from home with a laptop, your footprint will be tiny. This will be a little problem for you to sort out. But rest assured, you have a, a footprint. Other com, um, the, the other things I often hear is, oh, what difference will I make? Whilst the Chinese are still polluting and the Polish refuse to accept, um, you know, the EU regulation about, um, you know, reducing carbon, why should I take any action? We are way past that point now. We all individually, collectively, as companies, have to take action um, because. Um, we're heading for, I mean, it would be an absolute miracle if we achieve 1.5 uh, degrees centigrade um, warming. It, you know, we're way above that at the moment. And then there's no going back. Um, and as far as carbon projects themselves, oh, the projects don't exist. Oh, they're measured badly. Oh, I read the article in The Guardian. So there are lots and lots of misconceptions out there. And what I try and do is gently sort of persuade people to move in the right direction and address those misconceptions. Interesting. That makes me, why do you think climate issues overall is one of those areas that has so much disinformation? And, yeah. and I mean, what what is it? Is it, is there just a lot of, naysayers out there is it going to cost a few people so much money they're like i'm going to just deny it to the, i mean yeah. what, what do you think i mean it's, it's crazy when you look at it it is it is um for organizations i think the main barrier is yeah it's going to cost me money it's going to cost me money and i'm going to have to get some expertise in to help me do it or i'm going to pay someone for the expertise um, and yeah, at the moment, all we're trying to do is survive. I mean, at the moment, we haven't got enough money to turn the lights on and buy the sandwiches for our board meetings. So climate action, you know, can I avoid it for now? Could I put it off for one, two, three years? Yes, you can if you want. But what I always say to people is if you take climate action, you measure your emissions and you start reducing, I 100% guarantee you will start saving money, right. you know, and that is usually the thing when the light switch goes on. Uh, and I say, the sooner you start, the more time you have to reduce, but you will save money. And at the beginning, you know, the bigger the organisation, the bigger you are, the more money you're going to save because you only have to do five or six changes in your first year and you'll reduce your emissions by 20, 30%. So your operational spend goes down. Money. That's the key, isn't it? We, we, as much as we should be selling it on, we live on this planet. We need to save it at the end of the day. Yeah, we've been trying to say that for many, many years and people aren't listening, which is why legislation is now in place. And, you know, one of the other common misconceptions is I don't have to do anything. Well, that's wrong. By 20, by 2050, we all have to have our SBTIs submitted and approved irrelevant of the size of the organization. We all have to measure, reduce, and uh, develop our science-based targets. And I would say 90% of the SMEs that I speak to don't even realize that's a thing. 
Well, most SMEs will wait till it's six months from the deadline and then uh, hurriedly put something forward. And, and unfortunately, because of the lack of expertise, that will mean that they pay way more than if they took climate action now. They've got plenty of time to do it. The prices for the services that sustainability consultants offer to get your footprint measured are only going in one direction rapidly. Mm. There you go. Top tip. There you go. If you do yeah. nothing else, do that. So actually, that leads me on to the next question. So I'm listening to this. I haven't taken any climate action. What is your recommendation? Is it to hunt down the consultant that can give you, no, and, you know, give, give you that overview footprint and tell me what to say? Is that the first step? Yeah. Where, where do I go? Where do I find them? What yeah, the most common mistake I see is I'll speak to companies and they say, oh, we're taking climate action. I say to them, what are you doing? Oh, we're taking our packaging and we've reduced our packaging by 20 percent. OK, and I say that is fantastic. But have you measured the organization's emissions? Oh, no, no, we haven't done that. OK, first step is measure your scope. One, two and three emissions. OK, go online read about scope one, two, and three. Scope one, one and two are small. Scope three will be 95% plus of your organization's emissions. That's the one that's gonna make a difference. That's the one that's gonna save you money and save the planet, okay? So get measuring as soon as possible. You can either go to someone who can do that for you or you can try and do it yourself. It's complicated, it's difficult to understand. You're, you're probably better to go to someone. But I do speak to lots of people that, that try and do it themselves. And we offer a service where we can we can look at what they've done and mark their homework and tell them if they're on, on the right track. So measure your emissions first, because all of that great climate action you then take in reducing your emissions is recognised. If you start reducing your packaging emissions before you've measured in the first place, no one says congratulations. You've got nothing to talk to anyone about. You can't go on your social media and your website and say, we've reduced our emissions in 2023 by 20%. Aren't we fantastic if you don't measure them in the first place? So measure first. Um, if, you, if offsetting is part of your strategy and it's not part of everyone's strategy, and I don't force it down anyone's throat, um, make sure you are looking at wholesale pricing or not retail pricing. So often I'll speak to a company that have done their measurements and I'll say, OK, what are you doing about uh, reducing? So they'll say, oh, we're doing this, that and the other. And I say, what are you doing about your emissions that you can't offset? Oh, we've decided offsetting is not for us. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, when I dig a bit, I find that the reason they've come to that conclusion is they Googled carbon offsetting and they found the project and it's 20 pounds a tonne. OK, if you buy your carbon offsets from the right people, it is probably most likely to be two pounds a ton. Right. OK, not 20 pounds a ton. There are lots of people making lots of money with big margins on their carbon credits. So be really, really careful who you buy from and don't set a strategy until you've worked out what you can afford. Do due diligence on the projects. Um, you know, if you're skeptical about carbon offsetting, consider speaking to the rating agencies. There's really good ones out there. You've got B Zero Carbon, Silvera, Calix, who will tell you which are the great projects, which are the less great projects, and then you can make your, your mind up. And as I said before, Paul, hurry up, because as time goes on, it becomes more expensive to do this. You have less time to reduce. Um, so the sooner you start, the sooner you can reduce and the more money you will save. And so 
in terms of picking where to go, I, and, and excuse me, I don't know. So can you sort of choose so you can look at different projects, if you like, and, and then in, in, almost invest and then offset in that activity or the other activity? You know what? You What I always try and help people do is set a strategy and purchase credits that fit the strategy. Right. So buying a carbon credit is like going into a restaurant and being given a menu. OK, now in a in a restaurant, you get prawn cocktail and it's 10 pounds. You have two two things to worry about with carbon credits. It's much more complicated. You have a vintage. You have a country. You have a territory. You have a methodology. You have a credit standard. You have a volume and you have a price. And to most people, that is double Dutch. And the first time I looked at it, I thought, what is this crazy market? So get someone to help you understand, okay? If your company is a, a company that sells shellfish to the city, you can find beautiful projects which are blue carbon, which are related to water, related to fishing, that you can then relate to your strategy. Use the sustainability, um, the, the sustainable uh, development goals. You know, if it's about female equality, getting kids into education, uh, all of that sort of thing, pick projects that match. Look, more often than not, people will buy on price. And there's a lot of, I would say, snobbery in the market. If it doesn't cost uh, this much, it can't be a good project. No, that's not the case. It's classic uh, market demand. It's about volume. So renewable energy projects, which, by the way, are more popular this year than they've ever been. And they outstrip nature-based projects. Um, so if I am producing large volumes of renewable energy credits, they are going to be cheaper than uh, forestry credits where the volumes are much, much smaller and the methodology is much more expensive to carry out. So it's the classic. If I can bring my product to market in large volumes, it will cost less. Yeah. So don't think that a credit that costs £10 is any less valuable than a credit that costs £2. A tonne of carbon is a tonne of carbon. Right. Irrelevant of how much it costs. And as I say, if you want to do due diligence on the project and make sure it's exactly what you want, then look at the rating agencies or, or do your homework or work with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, there, there's this, it's that price, therefore it must be better or worse on that. So that's why people like you need to be putting the message out there and others need to be demystifying this because... Yeah. It is a, it is, you know, you're right. It's a minefield to try and try and navigate. And that's why I would say be careful who you buy from because yeah. my margin on a expensive credit is going to probably be more than my margin on a, a, a cost yeah. effective. I don't like to use the word cheaper, a cost effective credit, cost effective credit. Get someone who sells honestly. Yeah. So in your opinion, are carbon credits and offsetting the best way forward? Is that, is that your favoured, your recommendation, if you like, as a strategy? Look, the problem with the carbon markets at the moment is it's unregulated. So sometimes it's a bit like the Wild West or, okay. or trading in medieval times. So that is the biggest frustration at the moment, which is why it's opaque and there's lots of opinion and no one can agree on anything. There's a lack of expertise. Everyone has an opinion. 
at the moment, we have no better alternative and we need to get money going to project developers, which is why I always say, careful who you buy for, ask how much of my money is actually going to the project developer and how much of it is going to you? Because 95% as a minimum, I think should be going to the project developer, but sometimes you will, you will find as little as 20% is going to the project developer. So let's make sure the money goes to the right place. There is no better alternative at the moment. And some of these, in fact, I'd say the majority of the uh, regulated credit standard um, validated and verified projects are absolutely fantastic. Mm. And the money is, is, is invested going to the right people. There's lots of, um, you know, additional benefits for the project. Um, but I repeat, reduce first. That is the most important thing. Carbon offsetting is your last resort once you've reduced your, your okay. emissions. Get them as low as you possibly can. The science is going to get better and better and better. So we have to take it on the chin that a project that was measured uh, 10 years ago is not going to be as accurate as it is now. Okay, But that is not an excuse not to take climate action. It's a bit like saying a rogue trader selling stocks and shares 10 years ago is the reason that I don't buy stocks and shares. It didn't right. stop the financial markets. So why should it stop the environmental markets? Invest wisely with the right, right people. And you know what? There's a great competitive edge. And as I said at the beginning, you might not be the first anymore, but make sure you are not the last. So measure reduce as much as possible what you have and then offset what's left. Absolutely. Absolutely. And get going on your journey to taking climate action as soon as possible. You see, it sounds simple when you explain it, Philippa, but it's the complexity of all these people with their you know, massive markups that, uh, yeah, that make it a difficult one to navigate. So look, looking ahead, 12, 24 months into the future, you know, what, what do you see? Are you optimistic that uh, retail and industry is, is genuinely taking steps forward? Do you remain deeply concerned? What's your personal sort of uh, crystal ball telling us? Both of those things. Um, it has taken legislation to, to make uh, corporates take action, which I think it's disappointing, but it's a, it's a fact of life, you know, uh, unless you make people do it. They can't tangibly see it, although we're beginning to experience it. Um, you know, they will take action. So the legislation is in place. Most countries have met zero targets since 2050, and those that haven't are being pressured and, and you know, looked down upon. So the legislation is in place. Uh, corporates are definitely beginning to take uh, action. Sometimes they need a nudge in the right direction but they're beginning to take action. I think the biggest impact is corporates are finding that they're having to justify their credentials. So they're reluctantly saying, oh, we've got to do this. If we don't do it, we're not going to win any more work or we can't work with these companies. Um, there's a bit more expertise, not a lot, but there's a bit more expertise. Um, so I think we are heading in the right direction. We're doing the right thing. Um, and it will all come good in the end. There's lots of work to be done, but no excuses to do nothing, none whatsoever anymore. But you remain optimistic that it'll be done in time. Is 2050 early enough for um, a net zero? 
Uh, I Bit of a bigger think, question off top, sort of yeah, edge of the topic. I think, I think uh, it's fluid. I think targets will change as we measure the, the warming of the planet. Targets will change. And interestingly, what I'm seeing from corpus, which is great, is a bit of competition to get to net zero per first. So some are being really ambitious and saying 2030, which is, is really ambitious. And then someone else will come in and say 2028. Mm. The consumer, I think, will have a big impact. We are seeing more and more people, especially as the younger generation come through the ranks, saying, I'm not going to work for a company that isn't sustainable. I'm not going to buy from a company that isn't sustainable. And I don't want any of this greenwashing. I want to understand what you mean by better for you, better for the planet. Interestingly, um, I was looking on some packaging only this morning from a yeah. well-known UK food retailer. And on yeah. the side of my granola, it said we aim to be uh, net zero by 2040. And I was yeah. disappointed reading that, that yeah, this flagship brand yeah. had gone for 2040. I'm like, now if yeah. they hadn't have advertised the fact in my mind, they were at the forefront because they were one of the first to come out with their plan. And they told us yeah. about their plan on the side of their trucks. And yeah. then that they printed 2040 on the side of the packaging. And I was like, hmm, you've let me down a little bit there. Um, um, it's interesting. I'm delighted that you're disappointed. I would say 2040 is probably when most people are pitching. Yeah. Um, 2050 is almost admitting defeat and saying we're going to go for the latest date we possibly can. Yes. 2030 is really ballsy. 2040 is a it's a safe option, but most of the people sitting setting those targets will probably either be retired or out of the business by the time it comes around. And that 2040 you might find starts starts yes. shifting. You'll also notice there are lots of large corporates, Tesco, um, Innocent Drinks getting called out on greenwashing and making these big claims that are being looked at and saying that this is, there's no substantiation. You can't back this in from this big claim up with anything. So stop saying it. So times are changing. There's going to be a big focus. I mean, pandemics are going to pale into insignificance compared to climate change. You know, we experienced 40 degrees here in the UK in the summer. Um, New Zealand have just had cyclones, earthquakes. This is going to become more and more common. And then the doubters will unfortunately realise that it's it's not made up. I, I, I was in um, Sydney uh, a few weeks ago and you know, in the middle of the summer and it's almost you know biblical, oh, some yeah. of the, the weather that they've had. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah, it, it's you, you see what's going on around the world. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm with you, I think 2050. And that's after everybody writing 2050 and agreeing to, like you say, will have long since retired. Um, and, yeah. and let's hope it does get demanded to be earlier. And like you say, I think it will, will shift absolutely. for sure. Um, Philippa, absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you for helping me understand a little bit more what's going on. Um, really appreciate you sharing your expertise. It's been fabulous. And uh, I certainly hope we get an opportunity to meet in person in the near future. But for now, thank you very much indeed. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for your time.